Welcome to the Serial Serial, the AV Club's podcast about a podcast. This week it's a special edition with Associate Editor Mara Eakin, that's me, and uh, Editor-in-Chief Josh Waddell, and we're talking to Josh. Uh, we're talking to a lawyer named Susan Simpson who runs a blog, or a co I guess co-runs a blog called The View from LL2, um, which is a legal blog that has uh, concentrated quite a lot in the last few months on Serial. Um, she's very uh, deeply into the case and uh, is parsing the cell phone evidence and is su super into uh, 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 proving Adnan isn't, I think, as a fair <laughs> way to say. She's, uh, she's not shy about uh, uh, her thoughts that, that Adnan is innocent, or at least not guilty, which we'll get into with the conversation. It was very nice of her to speak to us, um, and we'll get to that in a second. But first, uh, the Serial Serial is brought to you by Audible.com, which is offering you, our listeners, a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash avclub, and you can choose from 150,000 titles and start listening on your phone or tablet or other gadget. That's audible.com slash avclub. Now, Mara, do you have a book you'd recommend that people download this week, perhaps something true crime-related, as we've been doing? Yeah, this time around, I'm going to take a listen or a look at a case that's close to my heart with Dr. Sam Shepard on trial, The Prosecutors and the Maryland Shepard Murder by Jack P. DeSario and William D. Mason. The Shepard case came out of my hometown, Bay Village, Ohio, in 1954. My dad was on the news when he was two. Uh, it has everything. It has rich people, intrigue, small-town gossip, police bumbling, and an unidentified bushy-haired man, which mm -hmm. supposedly was the inspiration for the fugitive, but now they say it wasn't. Anyways, one-armed man, bushy-haired man. And as a kid, I was fascinated by the case, but I haven't really had time to follow up on that interest as an adult. So after listening to Serial, I'd love to go back and revisit and see how my thoughts have changed, how I think, you know, if there was... You know, I know there was police bumbling then. Like, they had the Boy Scouts out looking for the knife and one of the Boy Scouts, all this craziness. Um, so what I think has happened now and how it's different. And thanks to Audible, I'll be able to do that this week uh, via audible.com slash avclub. Cool. And uh, now here is our uh, relatively unabridged conversation with Susan Simpson from The View from LL2. Uh, you can visit her site at viewfromll2.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. Hello. Hello, Susan. It's Josh and Mara from the AV Club. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Good. Uh, thank you for talking to us. No worries. Um, is my sound quality okay? Uh, yeah, you sound good to me, John. Okay. Does she sound good? You, you probably can't tell. I would have no way of knowing, but if she sounds good to you, that's <laughs> Okay, perfect. Our half-technical person says uh, we're all good. Um, so thanks for talking to us, even after listening to us um, defend Jay in our last <laughs> episode. Um, but we, you know, I think we wanted to, to talk to you to have kind of the uh, alternate perspective because we were all uh, all pretty uh, pretty one-sided last week, I feel like. Don't you feel like that, Mara? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think we still agreed that Adnan shouldn't be in jail. Yeah, I think we should probably <laughs> get into that in a second. But Susan, first, do you want to tell us like a little bit about who you are and, and uh, about your blog so people know why we're talking to you uh, in particular? Um. I I'm a blogger at The View from LL2. It's a, it's a law blog I started back with a friend uh, in the law school, and I've been writing about serial um, and a lot of the issues with the case and with the prosecution's evidence against Adnan. <laughs> and so just so people know, you're, you come out pretty strongly on, on your blog um, that well, I guess that's the, the big first question. Do you believe that Adnan, and I'm just asking you, I guess, as a person and as a defense attorney, do you believe that Adnan is innocent, or do you just believe that uh, he should not have been convicted of murder based on the evidence? I think the way the investigators and the prosecution approach the case, 
cause there to be not enough evidence for us to ever know for sure. They destroyed any chance of us actually having a record to look at. Um, if I had to put money on it, I would probably say Adnan's innocent because I don't see how he could have done this based on what we know. Um, but at the same time, there's such huge gaps in our knowledge that we don't know what happened and we can't know what happened. Do you think that those gaps always existed or that it's just gotten worse with the 15 years? Um, I think it's gotten better in the recent four months in a lot of ways. Because um, we've, there were no smoking guns I found on Serial, but they did find a lot of information that either had gotten buried or forgotten back in the original investigation. Um, at the same time, there are concerning gaps in the investigators' files. For instance, one of the important players in the case that we know nothing about is Patrick, who is one of the people that it's Jay's friend only, was called shortly after the time Hay must have been murdered. Um, and the investigators' files have a note or an index showing they talked to Patrick's sister and took a statement. That statement's gone. Um, and same for the self-records, or the pager records and the landline records for other players in this case. Those were subpoenaed, apparently, but they're missing from the file. <laughs> uh, okay. And those, person, those people have not been sort of re-approached uh, or anything? They were not approached on the podcast. Um, there was a note or a post on the serial website talking about it. It was called Stragglers, I believe, and discussing how there were people they still know nothing about. So if Adnan didn't do it, do you think Jay did? I think you kind of come, come close to saying that in your blog, uh, specifically talking about the, um, uh, the pocket dial, um, the idea of, of somebody pocket dialing while they're committing a crime. Um, <laughs> are, are you ready to come out and say you think Jay did it? No, I don't. I truly have no opinion on that. It's possibility. Um, it's not a bad one, but I don't think we know enough to say that. It's one among many. <laughs> um, I think that we've gotten a lot of emails from lawyers, and to a person, it's been prosecutors who want to talk about how obviously Adnan should have been convicted, and defense attorneys who think he was essentially railroaded. Do you find that to be the case in your profession, that lawyers will generally side with their side? It, that tends to happen. Uh, it's not uniform, but there's definitely a trend in that direction. Um, so you've, you've written a lot now about the cell phone evidence, um, which I don't want to get sort of too deeply into, but can you kind of summarize uh, your thoughts on the cell phone evidence and uh, for, the, uh, for, for the, the dumber listener? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, I, I know it's I was, obviously... You like, know, you said the average jury. Like, yeah, you say the dumber average listener. dumb jury. <laughs> um, you know... It, do you think that sort of evidence is just too complicated for a jury to get, or do you think, you know, do you think the prosecutors deliberately um, misuse that evidence? Um, and what do you think, if anything, it actually proves? Because I think a lot of people sort of get deep into this, but not nearly as deep as you, and say, you know, sort of throw their hands up at the end of it and say, well, I don't know what this cell phone evidence says. This, you know, this person says one thing, and it sounds like it makes sense. This person says another thing. Um, can that cell phone evidence actually ever point to anything conclusive? Absolutely. Not in this case. The, it's just too small an area. There's not enough ground for the pings to be substantially different. I, I started off thinking the cell phone records matter. I was 
pretty firmly convinced probably until about two, three weeks ago that there was significance in what they showed and that the Lincoln Park pings were showing something real and indicates something important about the case. And the deeper I got into it, it, that just all fell apart. I no longer believe that there's any evidence the phone was in Lincoln Park. Or not, sorry, not no evidence, but no reliable evidence that the phone was in Lincoln Park on the night of Hayes' murder. Where was the phone? Sorry. <laughs> For people who might not have read your blog. The, there's, the problem with the cell phone evidence is that it's not going to hit the nearest tower. It might. It's probably more likely, depending on geographical um, factors, to hit the nearest tower. But it's not overwhelmingly so. And we can see in the cell phone records, there's many times when a, a phone or one of the calls has pinged a tower that was maybe a tower over um, or two towers over. Um, additionally, most of the coverage area that, as far as it can be worked out, of the Lincoln Park Tower um, actually wasn't in the park. It covers the neighborhoods around there as well. Uh, so if you're going by the numbers, it's more likely that the phone, if it wasn't that tower's territory, more likely it wasn't in the park at all because there's more ground to cover outside of it within that tower's range. Did you read the Kevin Neurick uh, interview this week for The Intercept? I did. <laughs> okay. He was talking about the cell phone stuff there, too, and he's like, oh, it was different in 99 than it is now, da-da-da. What did you think about what he said about that? If you parse it carefully, there's one thing that seems to be accurate, um, and that's about the, uh, the tower switching, which seems to not been a technology they had in place, but it's kind of irrelevant. It, it doesn't change anything here because that doesn't affect whether or not the pings hit the closest tower. They just don't. You can't say they do that. They didn't say that at trial. Um, there's no evidence of that. So at the, at the end of the day, is the, the cell phone evidence in your estimation completely kind of worthless for either side? It's not, well, I think that the call logs themselves, like the, the time of calls, who's called, that's useful, solid data we can rely on. The actual pings are more useful for sort of armchair theorizing than they are for solid evidence because we can make predictions based on it. They're not, they have some value. There is some relation to where the phone is and where the towers are pinging, but it's just not the kind of proof we can use in a court to say, I know beyond reasonable doubt that the phone was here at this time, which even Kevin York acknowledged fully is when he said that, uh, the phone alone, RJ alone, wouldn't be enough. Only together are they sufficient. That's that's my was my next question for you. So, <clears throat> you're a lawyer. Do you agree with that? Do you think that uh, it struck me as as I'm not sure that that's true. I wonder if Jay alone would have been sufficient to, to convict him. This case, I don't think so. Um, his stories are too crazy all over the place. Um, I think as a legal standard, it, you probably would be okay. But in terms of bringing the case forward, um, you couldn't say you had probable cause based on just him. Yeah, that's something I wanted to know, sort of how often. I mean, we sort of look at this case as sort of uh, super anomalous and say, oh, my gosh, they only had a witness and some scant evidence. But I think that happens a lot. Like, how do you have a sense of how often cases are, you know, if this is a the really crazy case? This is a weird case. <laughs> this is not a normal situation. Uh, 
again, there are issues with the legal system in general that are uh, more universal. So there are some lessons here that apply elsewhere. But this case is an anomaly. There's a lot of weird things going on. <laughs> um, can you, I mean, I guess we sort of know what those are from the, from the show, but is there anything that you see sort of as a lawyer that, that you notice that listeners might not? I, for me, I have a huge problem with the way the state's case was put together. I don't think it was intentional. I don't think this was ever a plan or a conspiracy or anything like that. I just think it was blinders on investigation work. Um, and as a result, we have Jay's testimony, which was clearly perjury um, and was put together by the detectives and not by Jay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, put a, I don't know if you saw, I had a post up uh, last night about how we can see from an error in the detective's original map um, how Jay's story changed uh, because the detectives had a map that showed one of the towers in the wrong location, uh, about three miles off from where it should have been. And in between Jay's first and second statements, he completely changes his story and has a new, a new variation of events that places him next to where the tower was incorrectly on the detective's map. And there's just no reason for him to change his story that way if someone wasn't saying, hey, look, I know you were here based on this call. Tell us why you were here. And Jay did that. Is it possible just to be the devil's advocate or the Jay advocate in this case that he's just a scared kid and these cops are leading him down every path and he's just saying, I will say literally whatever you want me to say. And that's, totally what, that's why he's changing yeah. his story. That's totally possible. It's just not good evidence. Sure. Yeah, yeah, of course. Or there's the thing where it said in, in Kevin Urich's you know, I'm sure you'll have an issue with this, too, as as you probably should, where he said um, that, you know, Jay's lies are all kind of ancillary lies, where he lies about where he saw the body, but not that he did see the body, stuff like that. That part did kind of concern me, because the terms he used were um, collateral material, and legally they have, those, have, those terms have meanings. And uh, for me, when I read that, alarm bells started going off, and I started wondering, uh, I mean, is that the definition he was using when he was trying to determine what materials to turn over to the defense? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. So, yeah. So I guess there is the possibility that maybe, I mean, I guess we haven't seen Christina Gutierrez's files, so we don't really know what she had, right? I don't we, know. <laughs> we know some of what she had. Um, it's hard to piece together this far on with incomplete records. But we do know just from the transcripts that um, the prosecution was very, very, very mm-hmm. belated in its handing over. For instance, at the first trial, um, Gutierrez didn't get the transcripts from Jay's interviews until the day he testified. So she was really hamstring. I mean, I, I, I don't actually blame her for her inability to effectively cross him on the more picky points there because she was literally given all his previous crazy statements the day of. That's something I wish we'd heard in the podcast because it would have made you more sympathetic, I think, when Sarah Koenig sort of laid that stuff out. Mm-hmm. Is that unusual that she would be given it, uh, those things that late? Is that like a tactic? <sighs> so it, it's, it gets kind of in the legal weeds there. There's different kinds of evidence. Some stuff you have to turn over when the witness testifies. Other stuff under due process requirements, you have to give it way in advance enough for them to use it. Um, here the prosecution did argue and the judge ended up agreeing that this was not really the kind of evidence that 
the defense needed to see ahead of time. Um, <laughs> I would disagree with that, but <laughs> hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you talked uh, before about Jay committing perjury, and are, are you referring specifically to these um, intercept interviews where he's changed his story in, in what seems like a big way? That it's not just that. Um, there's when you get down to it, most of what he said in court it just can't be true. It's other witnesses contradict it, reliable witnesses, um, the cell phone records, like the call law, like the who called when. His story just it could not have happened. And some parts of it are provably false. Some are 99% likely false. And then some he's just later recanted, like in the interview, when he's... Although, to be honest, I actually do think we got closer to the truth in the Intercept interview. Are we happy for? Thanks for agreeing with us. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think that's really what struck us about the Intercept interview is that all of a sudden uh, there were some. He kind of answered the question why, uh, like you know we were all, well why are you lying why are you changing your story and the sort of common sense answer is well either you had something to do with it or the police told you to uh, or you're trying to protect yourself or some combination of those things mm -hmm. and to me after reading the Intercept interview uh, you know. And I don't know if you listened last week. Like it struck me as these are the most believable reasons that he's given. Um, like about his grandma. Yeah, about his grandmother's house and about him being scared to be arrested. And that's not the part I believed. Um, <laughs> oh, tell me what you believe. Yeah. Well, first of all, if he was trying to protect his grandma, it doesn't make any sense because he says that in the first interview, all interviews, he says he got the the shovels from his grandmother's house. And if that's, I mean, that will get your house searched. Using tools to cover up murder from a house, that will get the house searched. Having the killer drive by outside is not getting the house searched. Hmm, that's a good point. Um, and on the other hand, Jay's weed dealing, if that's what's going on, was not that house's problem. <laughs> there was much, much worse criminal activity connected there. I do not think that Jay's concern about the weed dealing it makes any sense. What, what other activity? Do you mean the murder or do you mean something else? That no, just uh, higher drug activity. Um, it, Jay wouldn't have been a blink on the radar there. Huh. Oh, mm -hmm. I see. Like in the neighborhood, you mean? Mm-hmm. Um, what other thoughts did you have on, on Jay's interview? Was there any part of you that, uh, that was swayed by his, uh, his lengthy intercept interviews? I mean, he's a, he's a good liar. He really is. Uh, it struck me... Last to last week's episode, um, you were discussing the line about the animal rage, and one of you commented, "Oh, I didn't realize it at the time, but now that Jay brings it up, that is that those are the two most biased words in cereal. I can't believe they'd call, they'd go to this guy's house, like barge in, and then say it's an animal rage, but that's not what happened. Um, Julie Snyder and uh, Sarah Koenig, when they after they left the house." They start discussing, and they say, you know, he seemed very calm, very polite, almost sort of sweet. But then he described himself as having this animal rage that we were asking these questions. And it, you couldn't really even see it, though. And yeah, so we, and, we fucked that up, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's the kind of lie he tells. He adds enough truth to it where it's, it is convincing. It does sound plausible. <laughs> so you, you're saying you think he was lying about actually having this animal rage? No, I think, well, he was lying about who said it. Oh, I see. I see. Because he accused them of calling him that, and it was actually his own words. Right. I guess it's sort of tough. Like, how do we know? I mean, obviously, we can catch Jay in some of his lies. 
it's so you're like, okay, that guy's a liar. I guess how do we know that Adnan's not a liar too? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know these guys, so I, I don't really. It's hard, obviously. I think that's why Cyril's so successful, among other reasons. In part, it's hard. It, part of the way the system works. Adnan didn't have to testify. He shouldn't have testified. Um, so we don't have his full statement. Uh, what we do have is pretty straightforward. He went to various places. People think they saw him. They're not sure the date. But they're pretty sure they saw him there. He went home. The end. Um, so the, even if there's just not much to dissect there and not much to gain from it. So, sorry, just to just to be clear, you you agree that uh, Gutierrez did the right thing in not putting him on the stand? Absolutely. Interesting. Um, because I my sense has always been like he tells such a great story. Uh, on serial, and he seems so convincing a speaker uh, that it might have helped him. But what do you think? How do you think that would have hurt him? I mean, I guess it couldn't couldn't have hurt him any worse. He got was convicted of first degree murder. But uh, what would he have been would've, bad about him? He would have been great on direct. Um, he would have given a good story. Probably seemed very convincing. If he's anything like he is now, you know, it's hard to say. He was 17, so he might have been a mess as a witness um, back then. It's the it's the cross examination. It's a problem. As soon as you start talking the stand, you open yourself up to a wide-ranging cross on everything and anything almost that the prosecutor wants to get into. Um, he could start questioning him about all of his feelings about Hay or ask, like, so were you upset when, you bro when she broke up with you? If he says no, then the prosecutor's like, well, isn't that really weird? Aren't you lying? I mean, you were upset, right? And if he says yes, the prosecutor sees him that and runs with it. You, you can't win. It Correct me if I'm wrong, but juries are instructed then to not hold against a witness the fact that they did not testify. Correct? They are, and we like to believe they listen to us. I don't think they believe. I don't think they listen <laughs> to you. <laughs> um, I, I just, you know, I've been as we've been talking about this case, I've been trying to put myself in the mind of the, this jury that convicted him in three hours. Um, <sighs> two hours. Two hours. Sorry, uh, I'm getting the facts wrong again. Um, the. And the only thing that, that makes any sense to me is that they, is that they really believe Jay. Um, and, yeah. And I just feel, I, you know, I still feel like, and I, you know, obviously we'll never know, but I still feel like if Adnan had, uh, Adnan might have been able to plant some kind of doubt in their minds. Um, but any, hindsight's twenty twenty, obviously, as Mara said. It is. And it, it might have worked. It's always, it's always a gamble. I mean, it, it could have gone in his favor. But to me, from you know, Monday back, Monday night quarterbacking here, I would never put him on. It's too much of a risk. Hmm. So, um, let, can we move to sort of what happens now? Like, it, what does does the fact that Jay uh, perjured himself, or essentially admitted to perjuring in this inter in this intercept interview, telling a completely different story? People made a big deal about that the next day. Does that legally uh, is that going to bear fruit legally for for Adma? Yes, it's it's great to have. Um, at this point in the game, there's there are no sure answers. Um, he needs every bit of ammo he can get on his appeals, uh, but there there's nothing that's going to solidly, one way or another, answer his legal questions, get him out. Um, and there's a lot of different ways that he can appeal right now. I mean, I'm sure you saw today. There's Currently, the uh, Court of Appeals asked for the, uh, the state to respond to a motion to reopen the appeal. 
So there's that option going forward. He could raise other appeals. Um, and then there's the Innocence Project as well. So there's a lot of different post-conviction proceedings that could go forward. And in some of them, Jay's perjury could help him. So what's the best case scenario with any of those, that they, there's an, a new appeal opened? The best case scenario is that the DNA evidence gets tested and comes back with a, a match for someone. A match uh, for Jay. Come on, you want to say it. No, I really don't, though. I, I, I don't. I think you have to keep that in mind, but I'm actually not swayed by that. Yeah, it could come back to what was the serial rapist that they were talking about <laughs> yeah. or whoever. I just, well, I would be surprised by that. That would be un unexpected. <laughs> I, don't, I don't buy anything except for Adnan or Jay or some combination of those Well, you've two. been very clear about that, but I think, you know, I think there are a lot of, I, I'm one of those people that's like, it could have been, we don't know, we don't know. Well, look how often Jay talks about the snitching culture and how you can't snitch. I mean... That doesn't apply to people that aren't, that doesn't apply to some 17-year-old kid from the mosque. That applies to other people mm. in his community. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Planting seeds, I see. Yeah. Um, so short of the DNA evidence uh, coming back covered with Jay or someone else, um, what's the next best thing? Uh, there's a new appeal, and then how does that process work? There's a, a new appeal, depending on which which method they go forward, um, they can show either uh, some, uh, probably ineffective assistance of counsel would be a likely route. I don't know if that's really a great one for him here. Um, but I, the more I get into this case, the more I, I find problems with the prosecution's case in general. Um, a couple of days ago, I was going through the, the call records and I read the facts cover sheet and it says plain as day on there that Incoming calls are not reliable for location data, and only outgoing calls were considered reliable by AT&T. Now, since the, uh, both the Lincoln Park calls were incoming, uh, that, that seems to raise a big question about the state's case. Hmm. <laughs> so the way an appeal would work, though, just, so, just from a sort of nuts and bolts standpoint, mm -hmm. like if the court decides um, that uh, to reopen the appeal, is that essentially like a new trial happening? No. So we read from the appeals, just it's done by the briefs. There's no uh, generally not new evidence put on. Um, and it won't go to the underlying factual merits. Um, if he won that, then there'd be the option of a retrial or the prosecution can simply say, uh, you know, we're not going to pursue this and let him go. Gotcha. So in the appeals process, um, essentially a judge would just look at the evidence and say, like, uh, they fucked up. They, yeah, there, <laughs> there, there was not yeah. enough evidence to prosecute, and then they would have to decide, the state would then have to decide whether to try him again? It, w it wouldn't be that there was not enough evidence. It would be something either withholding of evidence um, or misleading evidence. Again, that same AT&T cover sheet also stated very clearly what it looks like when a call goes to voicemail. It is not answered and goes to voicemail. And there was one of those calls in the day of Hayes' murder, and at trial, the prosecutor represented to the jury that that was someone checking voicemail and said, well, this is proof that Adnan had his phone at this time because he was checking his voicemail, when in reality, that's, that was someone calling and not being answered. Right. So, so one thing like that, it's simply a judge saying, this was, mis this was misrepresented, and, you know, I'm, and now the state has to decide whether you're going to be retried, is that correct? 
So yeah. <laughs> sort of. Sorry. Like that, yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying to keep it super simple for people who just sort of want to know kind of what the likely next steps are going to be. Uh, I would expect those would feature uh, in his in his strategy. <laughs> uh, do you think the state would retry him? I would. I don't think so. I'd be pretty surprised. This is not a. It wasn't a good case then. It's not a. It's a worse case now. Yeah, no kidding. Fifteen years have not been kind yeah. to this case. Um, is there any chance of some weird plea thing happening, like with that West Memphis three case? Yeah, I think so. Um, that's a tough call for someone in a non position to make, but I could see that happening too. Mm. Um, that's a weird thing. That doesn't happen very often, right? Where you're allowed to sort of profess your innocence, but they then let you out of jail. And not often, no. Not definitely not like this. Maybe that's the new normal. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I'm. I, I think I think we got enough. Is there any anything else that uh, that you want to add, Susan? Uh, no, that's. <laughs> yeah. Right. Thank you for pointing out that we messed up last week because we totally know that and we were going to say something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but people certainly have strong feelings about this case. Um, they do. On, oh, on gosh. both sides, we we got a lot of. Uh, angry tweets last week, uh, you know, for even possibly implying that we believed, uh, believed Jay a, a little bit. Yeah, I've never had a, been at the, the target of the internet angst and anger before. It's a, not a pleasant experience. Are you getting, Just do are wait. You, are people uh, uh, harassing you that are on the sort of uh, uh, adding on his guilty side? Yeah, it's, it's been, I, I've kind of gotten used to it the past couple of weeks, but at first I was, it, you know, if you're not used to it, it's a really weird feeling. Yeah. Uh, well, I appreciate you talking to us about it. Yeah. And putting yourself out there again. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, thanks for talking to me. Yeah, take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.